God, thank you so much for that love and your goodness. Lord, I just pray that you'll continue to reveal yourself to us and show us that goodness. And God, we would just exemplify a life that reveals that goodness. Thank you. In Christ's name. You know, as I was walking up and, and during the middle of worship, I was thinking how grateful I am that we have the worship team that we do. Um, and we have an opportunity to worship God whenever, but I really drew, truly believe our worship team um, does everything that they can do to remove any barrier that we may have to, to help us to focus in on our worship, and I'm grateful for them. Um, thankful for Justin's leadership. Well, good morning. I am really glad to be here, and I got to do the 945 service, so like all the kinks are worked out, and I'm fired up, and I ate some quiche right before this, so I'm not hungry, so I figured I got to add it about 20 minutes to some thoughts that I have, so, so we're going to be out of here sometime, 12.30, 12.40, so just buckle up. I think it's going to be a good and a fun time, but hopefully this morning it gives us the opportunity to take and look at what God is doing and ask ourselves some very real questions, some maybe some tougher questions, but that asking ourselves some questions so that we can walk out of here with a game plan um, is kind of my thought. I'm going to start off by reading in Matthew chapter 13, and it will be on the screen. Starting in verse 24, this is what it says. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in the field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat. Uh, then he slipped out. When the crop began to grow and produce the grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? Verse 28, An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Now, when you take a look at this passage of, this wheat, of the wheat and the tares, it can be somewhat intimidating, maybe not from an understanding of trying to comprehend it, but from the viewpoint of like, man, I, like it's tough to hear these words sometimes. It's tough for us to take and examine our life and, and measure it against some of Jesus's parables. It's tough for us to take a look and say, man, what is it that I need to change about myself so that I look more like Jesus. And this passage, though, it tells us a lot of great truths that can be encouraging, they can be convicting, but it's always pointing to change. It's always pointing to change. I have a lot of different hobbies, and they kind of move in and out with different seasons of my life. 
Like I'm kind of like ADD like in my thoughts, but I'm really like ADD in my actions too. I kind of, I, I like to have a hobby and then I get bored with it and I move on to something else and I just kind of go different, different, different routes at different times in my life. But one thing that has always been consistent in my life is I've really always enjoyed woodworking. And when I went to uh, start playing around with some woodworking, the first thing I realized is that I needed some different tools. The second thing that I realized was that these tools for woodworking are incredibly expensive, you know? And then I got introduced to something that I thought was kind of the closest thing to heaven, and that's Harbor Freight. Janelle and I were going through Shreveport, and I said, you know, I've heard about this Harbor Freight. This was years ago. I said, and her parents kind of lived down from it. I said, let's stop in there. I walked in, and I was like, this is the greatest thing God has ever given us. Like, it's like, it's like all the tools for like 10% of the price. And so I walked in and I, and I just started like, I had, I had a little money in my pocket. My pants were sitting a little lower than they usually do. And I said, let's do some business. And so I started filling up buggies, right? And you can get a lot of stuff at Harbor Freight. And I get a carload of stuff. And, and I don't even know if Janelle remembers this. So I took it back to her parents' house and I was so geeked up about it. I just needed to see it. You know how when you just want to see all your stuff. And so I set it out in the parking lot, uh, the driveway at her parents' house. And I set it out and I took a picture of it. And I was like, look at all of my woodworking tools that I've got. And I didn't know this about Harbor Fred. But I came to find this out that two months later, 80% of those were, were broke and maybe 10% of the 20% left didn't function correctly. And, and, and here's what I came to realize. Now, I'm not knocking Harbor Freight. That's not what this passage is talking about. They have a lot of what we would call knockoffs. And I'm a fan of knockoffs because I like stuff and don't have a lot of money. So knockoffs are key, right? But I learned that there are areas of life that knockoffs are good to have and there are areas of life that you want it to be as genuine as you can possibly have. You don't want a lesser version of something in different areas of your life. And woodworking tools were one of those. What Jesus is talking about ultimately when he is telling this parable to the people next to the Sea of Galilee is he's talking about faith that is knocked off. And here's, here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of ways that you can interpret different things that people say, but I'm gonna tell you, like this passage is really talking about people inside of the church that claim to be followers of Christ, but are not. And you, you may hear that and say, man, you need to slow down. You're just like, you're just, you're just a guest preacher. Don't get up there and get on your high horse. Chris is gone, you know. I'm not, because I think that this can be an encouragement to us. And I think that for me, when I filter my life through it, I look and I'm like, man, God, I see what you're doing in here. And I see how this challenges us and it stretches. So whether you are a follower of Christ or you are not this morning, I think God has a, a word for us. The first thing that I really think this passage screams out, and I really want you to hear this, is that Satan thrives on confusion, disunity, and destruction. When you look at this, to set up the scene, these workers that came in from the field come and they sit down and they, they come up to, their, to the farmer, the, the head guy that owns the fields and he, they're like, man, all that seed, that wheat that you planted, it had a bunch of weeds in it and now like, it's just starting to grow. We're finding all these weeds. What in the world happened? 
What in the world happened? See, the weed that they're talking about in these wheat fields is the bearded darnel. Now, I don't know how like, good your plant science is, you know, and you, how studied up you are on plant ID and that sort of thing, but a bearded darnel looks incredibly like a wheat plant. In fact, I was reading about it because I don't know a lot about bearded darnels. An expert said that even to a trained eye that that's what they do, until that, those plants produce their seed pods, they can almost be impossible to differentiate. These weeds are growing amongst the wheat. And if you've ever had a garden, you know that weeds compete. Weeds hinder the ability for the plants to grow. Me and my wife, Janelle, we're great at growing weeds. Like, I think, I think an enemy came in and sowed some weeds. That's all I feel like we do is pull weeds. I help my wife garden. She garden. She's a good, she's a gardener. She's, I'm just going to leave it there. I get in trouble. I'm just shutting up. So, wheat field. We, uh, they came in and said, man, there's weeds all up in here. And they asked the farmer a question. What do you think happened? And here's what the farmer said. He said, an enemy has done this. That's such a small phrase, but I think it has huge implications. Because when we are looking at life, a lot of times when we have turbulence coming in from all around us and we have people that are problematic in our life, we have situations that are problematic, I I don't know about you, but for me, when I'm faced with a lot of that kind of stuff all at one time, I've become like a fighter. Like I'm kind of like, some people pull away and and some people just kind of like, are a fighter. The problem with being a fighter on that and going at it is you don't really know where to even, you don't even know where to attack. It's kind of like if I'm sitting at my house in my living room in Shudrin and all of a sudden I hear some, 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 some bombs going off outside. I hear some rumbling. I walk out the front door and I start seeing all these mushroom clouds like around Shudrin from all these bombs. I've got to figure out first how to get out. But then if I really want to do something about it, I need to figure out where they're coming from. Like, is it just random? Is it planes, you know, that all of a sudden dropped it? Did Douglas, the community north of Shudrant, I mean, like, did they get mad because they don't have city limits and Shudrant does and now they're attacking Shudrant? I, I don't, I, you know, you, you need to figure out, but I'm telling you, if Douglas, just in case you live in Douglas, in case you get any keen ideas, if you try that, I'm going to Sibley, New Hope, and Pea Ridge and we're going to wipe you off the map. I'm going to get my boys together. Until I know that it's coming from the north, I don't have any idea what to do about it. And spiritually, I think that sometimes we feel like there's a tax coming in and we don't know what to do about it. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to combat it. We don't know. And so we just end up starting like being mad at everybody. And then we're like, God, you're doing this to me. You know, we don't know what's going on. But the master said, no, an enemy has done this to us. These people listening to this would have known this very well. This was an act of warfare. It was punishable by Roman law to go plant weeds in your neighbor's field. It was an act of warfare because if you could take out a city's food supply, you would weaken the city because they're hungry. And if you could weaken the city, you would weaken the army. And if you could weaken the army, then it left them vulnerable to be attacked. 
I don't think that it's any coincidence that Jesus told this story and he goes on later in the passage to explain who the key roles are and it says the enemy is Satan, that Satan takes and uses people that aren't followers of God that to, to, to weaken the church, to weaken God's people. He uses these opportunities to weaken God's people because it leaves us vulnerable to be attacked. To know who your enemy is is key and to know your enemy and to know your enemy wants nothing more than divide us, gives us a plan on how to go about it and how to, go to, how to attack it. But you know, I'll tell you this, it's just, it can get very confusing with all the voices that we hear because the whole idea of this passage is these are people in the church that looked apart, that Peter Darnell looked just like we. It's like, what do you do? How do you listen? And I understand the idea of voices being confusing. We went three weeks ago to camp in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. And we were at, um, we were at camp, and if, uh, I'll tell you from a youth minister's perspective, it was the last night. And the last night is bittersweet because you're, you've had a good week, you're ready to get home, but it's the last night and weird stuff happens. And you just kind of need to get through the night and, and, then, and then everything's gonna be good. Well, this was probably about an hour or so after lights out and, um, and one of the girls had a question for me. Uh, it was Bailey. Oh, hey, Bailey. She said, hey, I need to holler at you, Josh. And so I walked and climbed the mountain up there to where the girls' dorm was. It was like a half a mile, I don't know. It, it really wasn't that long, but I'm fat and old. And so I got up there to her and, uh, and we're talking. And some of the boys had come in and said, we just got chased by a bear. Well, again, this is last night at camp. You don't believe stuff. You're like, okay, boys, good deal. Y'all go to bed. They're like, no, Josh, we really got chased by a bear. And I'm like, all right, you're good. I said, are anybody dead? And they're like, no. And I'm like, they ain't gonna chase me up, I know a bear. And then they sent me this video, check this out. Just kind of like Blair Witch Project, you don't know, I mean, I, I, think, I think I brought them all home, I don't know. But, but they got chased by a bear. And I'm up there and me and Bailey are sitting there talking and I look around under a street light and I said, Bailey, there's a bear. <laughs> she said, it's a bear. I said, it is. And I'm like, well, maybe it's just gonna slip on up into the woods. Well, long story short, that bear didn't. It was coming and checking its trash cans and it had found some chicken strips in this trash can. And it flips the lid off and it's getting there and eating his chicken strips. And what I realize is then we have a lot more of our girls that are down at the bottom of the hill. Here I am at the, the girl's dorm at, on top of the hill and, 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 and the bear, you know, is hanging out in the middle. Well, the problem is the bear's between the, where the girls are and where they need to be. I'm talking to Janelle on the phone and I'm, I'm actually FaceTiming her and I, she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm chasing a bear. She said, well, no, really, what are you doing? And I did what the boys did. I was like, flip my FaceTime camera around. And she said, there's a bear. I said, that's what I just said. <laughs> and uh, she said, what are you gonna do? I said, well, I guess I'm gonna run it off. I don't know, because nobody else is doing anything. And I'm like, I don't even know if Janelle remembers this. I'm going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And she said, why are you making that noise? I said, that's what you say to cows. I don't know. I said, this is closer to a cow than it is a cat. I said, you know, I, and the bear looks around and it starts just going. I'm like, I got this bear under control. I said, this ain't nothing. I'm like, you know, we're doing. 
And then a girl pulls up in a Prius, all right? This girl pulls up in a Prius over on the side. We're just gonna, for sake of this morning, we're gonna call her Princess Greenpeace because she pulls up in her little Prius and she starts lecturing me about how this is this bear's habitat and I just need to leave it alone. And I was fixing to explain myself, but then I'm like, this is fixing to go nowhere. But I was like, I understand that we're in the mountains and this is this bear's habitat. But sweetheart, this is a parking lot. This is not the bear's habitat, it's, it's a parking lot. I said, but I've got girls down there and they've got to get here and they're not coming through Yogi. I said, so we gotta get the thing on. She's mad, she's hollering. Well, about that time, you know, Janelle's laughing at me for making my noises. This Princess Greenpeace is over here. Another lady starts barking at me from the other side. Now, this lady's screaming like hysterical. She's like, 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 you would think she was being attacked. And she's explaining to me that this bear has a hurt leg. And because it has a hurt leg, it's going to attack me. And I'm like, you're pretty special because you have x-ray vision and can see that this bear has a, has a broken leg at 50 feet away, you know. And what this really meant, amounted to was this lady was a chaperone that didn't need to be a chaperone at camp. And she needed to go to bed and go home to her husband. And she's sitting there screaming and going on and on. And then I've got my girls, all of our youth girls that are hanging off the balcony of their room. And they're screaming, get it, Josh, go, Josh. And I'm like, they want me to kill the bear. And I realize there's all this, this stuff going on. And I'm like all right, we got to refocus. The bear needs to move on. And we ended up, we get the bear out of there. The girls, you know, come home, get back to their rooms. We bring them home safe. Everything was good. But I've thought about that so many times since then that that's a lot about how life is. These voices creep in. We need to know who we're listening to, who we don't need to listen to, what is going on. And I think this is the main, one of the main things that Jesus is wanting to really latch in for us to, for, for us to move forward. And as we move forward, the second thing that I would tell you that I think really sticks out is as a believer, we're called to be a nurse, not a judge. As a believer, we're called to be a nurse, not a judge. If you'll look back at that passage, the farmer's workers went to him and said, sir, the fields where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? He said, an enemy's done this. And then they t went and talked to him. They said, should we pull out the weeds, they asked. He said, no. He said, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let them both grow until the harvest. Then I'll tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds. I'll tie them into bundles and I'll burn them and I'll put the wheat in the barn. Why is, why, what, one, what does it mean to be a nurse and not a judge? It simply is this. We are called by God as believers to love those around us regardless of what is going on, whatever is happening, and point them to Jesus. This for me takes so much of the pressure off if you really let this sink in. We're not called to discern who is really godly and who is really not. We're not the one that is called to put the final stamp onto it. We're not the one that is, that is there to be the one in charge. We're, our call as a believer is so simple. Regardless of who they are, regardless of what is going on, we need to love people and point them to Jesus. Now, 
That doesn't mean that we don't discern and look at some of the, tr the traits, the characteristics of, of, of someone's life in order to know the best way to go about that. To look and to say, hey, this person is, doesn't seem like a believer to me because of whatever, X, Y, Z, is not being judgmental. It's just observing what is going on because when we observe, we know better how to go about the conversation. When you are intentionally living for God, it's gonna require that you intentionally have conversations with people that are pointed specifically to them to help them get to know who Jesus is. I was talking to Alicia Smith earlier this week and I was just talking about from a, I was, Alicia's a nurse and I said, Alicia, I said, a nurse, I said, is there, do y'all take the same kind of pact uh, that doctors do about providing care? And she was explaining and everything to me and it's like kind of this pledge that regardless of who someone is, I will give them the best medical treatment that I can possibly give. It, it doesn't matter what they have done to put themselves here and in this position. My goal is to provide the best care that I can provide for them to get better. I said, okay. I said, I got that. I said, now, I said, obviously you see people that have made a lot of decisions that have contributed to the reason why they feel like they do or whatever's going on. And she said, yeah. I said, okay, I've got a question with that. I was just kind of thinking about this passage. I said, is it wrong for you to point that out to them how does that work with, with, your, with your pledge and, and, and what you're called to do? She said, no, she said to sit down if you really care about someone's health and you really care about them getting better, you know that like, you, and you know what is causing them to get into this position. Essentially, you would almost be unloving not to point that out, but it's not to point them out to condemn them, it's to point it out to show them what they, what they need in their life to show them what's gonna make it different. Our memory verse for this, for this year as a church is Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And he said, the second is equal to it, and that's to love your neighbor as yourself. And then this last phrase is to me one of the kickers. He said, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Loving God is ultimately tied directly into loving people. And the way that we love people is to point them to Jesus because here's the coolest thing. You can't change weeds in a field. Weeds are gonna be weeds. You can't go out and say, well, you're not, weed, you're not a weed anymore, you're, you're wheat. But the creator of the universe not only changes our actions, he changes our makeup, our DNA, everything about us. And what Jesus wants to do is to take these people that are in church for whatever reason that feel like they are not, um, that, that maybe feel like they are believers or they're just trying to put on a show or whatever is going on. He wants to take and change us from the inside out. He wants to change our DNA. He wants to change our makeup completely. For a believer, it takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to figure out every problem. We just need to love them the way that Jesus does and point them to Jesus. The last thing that I would tell you is this. And for me, this is kind of a tough one. I don't I like standing up here because it's, it's, it is, it is tough. We gotta be honest enough and truthful enough with ourselves to do this. You need to know where 
you need to know what it is that you're bringing to the judgment seat. You see, here's the thing. I, the only person that really knows what my walk with God really looks like. You, you can make observations, the fruit, right? You can, you, can, you can observe the fruit of my life, but the only person who really knows what my walk with God looks like is me and God. And with that being said, and knowing that like, we're not the final judge, the only person that we can take care of is us. It's kind of like, like my mama always said, you do you. And so this, this, today, I, I just am encouraging us, I think this passage screams to us that we need to take an honest look and know what we are bringing to the judgment seat. You see, Jesus, when he was telling this parable, and he's, and he's telling about these, these guys saying, do we need to go pull the weeds? He said, no. He said, man, they're all intermingled, and you can't really tell the difference anyway. You pull those, you're going to pull wheat. The only time that you have an option to really be able to know that this is wheat and this is a weed, the darnel, is when it produces the seed head, when it produces the fruit. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the people that are harvesting to go and to pull those, bundle them up, burn the weeds so that it doesn't keep scattering the seed. But then I was reading, and even more definitive than that is if you are wanting to separate wheat and darnel is when it gets, after it's harvested and it's threshed and all the seed is there and you put the seed out on the table, they would employ big numbers of people to go through the seeds because we've all seen wheat that golden, light golden brown color. But this, but this darnel is it's about the same size, same shape. The seed pods look the same, but it's like this dark gray and it's very easy to tell the difference when it's on the processing table. And I think that this is a challenge for us today because when we look at our life, the easiest person for any one of us to deceive is ourself. We, can, we are good as a people at putting on a show. And I don't say all of this to create doubt in our minds. I say this to create confidence are you confident in what you are bringing to the judgment seat of Christ? Because at the judgment seat of Christ, it's definitive. There's no guessing. Jesus lays it out and says, this is what it is. I think that's why when you see Jesus says, there's gonna be many that come to me and they're gonna say, Jesus, I've done all these things, these God things. And he's like, man, get away from me, I never knew you. Because our stuff doesn't equal our heart. It's definitive. So are you confident? Here's how I wrap this up to kind of help you to process where do you sit with God. The first thing that I think really we have to be willing to acknowledge is that our fruit really does say a lot about our life, what we produce. Matthew 7, 16 through 20, I'll paraphrase. He said, you're gonna know them by their fruits. You're gonna know them by what they throw out, what you produce. I just, like, when you look at the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, oh, oh. Like, these, these, you know this self-control, you know all this love, this joy, this peace is what God produces inside of us. And so I ask the question, is this what you are producing in your life when nobody's looking? Is this what you are producing in your life? Are you at peace, are you happy? Are you confident that there's been a point in time that you've given your life to Christ and does it show? Second thing is this, am I confident that Jesus is the Lord of my life and does it reflect it away from church? First John 1, 6, it says, so we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God 
but living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing truth. Sometimes our fruit, we look at it and say, well, I don't know if I really produce that fruit. And we, so then we justify why it must be good enough. It's easy to deceive ourselves. Be open. Last thing I'll tell you this, be willing just to get completely honest with yourself. Don't let sin deceive you. Hebrews 3.13, it says, you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. The longer we allow sin to deceive us, the longer that we justify our behaviors when we know that we're not right with God, the longer that we let our actions keep going just because we say we'll deal with it later, the harder our heart gets against God and the more it's gonna take to chip it away. Take care of it now before it's too late. When I was thinking about all of this and kind of what we were talking about this morning and the idea of these knockoffs, I got to thinking kind of what do people tend to like have knockoffs of? And, and I thought about it like Rolexes, right? Because if I was gonna have a Rolex, that's, it would either be like, A, somebody, one of y'all died and left it to me, all right? Or B, I have a knockoff. And so I called Brian Baldwin and I said, Brian, can I swing by and just visit with you a little bit about a Rolex? Well, Brian knows Josh ain't coming to talk to me about buying a Rolex. So, I mean, it wasn't like I let his hopes down when I said I got some sermon questions. And, and, and I said, Brian, I got a question. I'm told him what I was talking about. And I said, how do you tell the difference in a, in a, in a real Rolex and a knockoff Rolex? And I mean, it, very good explanation. It was very enlightening to me. He said, he said, obviously you can pick up a Rolex that is fake and, and it's gonna be like really a lot lighter. It's not gonna have the weight. It's not gonna have the mass. You know, you're not gonna feel like you have something expensive in your hand. And I said, okay, I got that. He said, the second hand, he said, the second hand on a Rolex doesn't tick. It's got a, it smoothly glides around the watch face. If your Rolex ticks, it's not a Rolex. Now, some of you are kind of like looking and seeing this and Brandon is offering a special on marital counseling right after this. So like, just know it's all good. We can work this out. Uh, he said, the second hand, if it ticks, it's not a Rolex. He said, but obviously Josh, there's levels of knockoffs. And he said, there's, there's, there's $50 knockoffs and then there's $500 knockoffs. And he said, $500 knockoffs, they get, they get tougher. To, to, to discern, he said, but you can always take the watch and take the band off. And he said, when you take the band off, you'll be able to see that there is a serial number on the side. And he said, that stamp says, this is from Rolex. You can run those numbers and look. He said, but I told you some Rolexes are really good. And he said, I've done jewelry my whole life. He said, I could tell this. He said, I got doofed one time. And he said, I bought a knockoff Rolex. He said, it was good. He said, it looks so good. He said, the second hand was right. The, the, the serial number is there. The weight is right. He said, it was 14 karat gold. Like he said, it, everything about it screamed Rolex. And so he was wearing it. And after a while of wearing it and the wears and tears of life, putting your hand in your pocket, doing all of these things, there's different wear points on a watch. And what he noticed was that the gold that was supposed to be solid through and through, this gold plating had worn through and you could see the steel under it. 
and what he had been wearing as a genuine ended up being a knockoff. And I said, I got one last question for you, Brian. I said, do you ever have people come into the store thinking that they have a genuine Rolex and you are looking at it, working on it, picking it up and have to tell them that it's a knockoff? And he said, all the time. And I think about our spiritual life. I think that there are sometimes people just want to put on the show because they feel like that's what's going to make them look good. I think that for whatever reason, after we kind of like stifle God's voice in our mind a little bit, and we put on a little bit of a show, and we let sin start deceiving us, it's easy to start keep doing that to where you become who you, your mind says you are. And for some people, it's happened a long time. Those knockoffs are really good. But when the wears and tears of life, the daily, the toughness of life, that fruit will always make itself known. So my question is, where are you? Will you pray with me? God, as we take a moment just to examine ourselves, God, this, this passage calls for so much reflection on our part, so much honesty, so much vulnerability. God, I pray that you will help us just to know who the enemy is, that you'll help us to see that this is Satan and let that reflect in that, that to, to our conversations and how our seriousness goes. God, I, but I, and I pray that if we are a believer, you will just make it our, our, our life's work just to show people who you are to love them, to point them to you, so that you can take them and not just like clean them up, change their DNA from the inside out. God, if we're in this room and we're just like, we've been sitting here and we know that we've just been playing a game for a long time. And we're under conviction, God, give us the courage to do something about it. Father, I just pray that you will work. If you don't know God and you want to, you want to surrender to him, you're like, I'm through playing games. You can pray with me right now. God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Christ died on the cross to save me in my sins. And God, I just give you my life completely right now. No game, no show. I just surrender everything I've got to you. Come into my life and save me. Change me. Change me.